This is a talk I recorded at Aquarius, Kansas City on September 28th, and the talk is called Zen Mind Workshop. I sort of explained what we're doing and why we're doing it as far as Zen meditation goes. And I led some guided meditations and I took questions. So that's what this is, and I hope you like it. Welcome everyone, I'm glad you're all here. Um, my name's Daniel and I do meditation things. Um, so I came up with this, I was asked to do a workshop here and I came up with this workshop and I could have easily done like a Buddhism 101 or, so, or who is the Buddha or something and I didn't want to do that. So I came up with this Zen Mind workshop and we are going to talk about First of all, we're going to talk about why we are doing meditation practice, and then we're going to do some different styles of meditation together. So, and the more important thing is the practice we're going to do, because what this is about is doing something. It's not so much about learning the right philosophy or the right ways to talk about it, but it's about doing something. But I am going to talk about why we do it, and I'm going to talk about where it comes from as well. So... And I'm not going to talk a lot about Buddha, except to say Buddha just means the one who is awake. And I'm going to tell a story that features the Buddha, but we're not going to go real deep into that because the truth is that this is not about the Buddha's journey or about anyone else's. It's about yours. So we could very easily get distracted thinking about the Buddha or any other historical figure and not think about our own journey. And a lot of people, I think, are prone to that. So... With that being said, I'm going to tell this story now. It's called The Flower Story, and it really encapsulates what we're trying to do, or rather, what, what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it. So the story is that the Buddha was this historical figure that people really liked listening to. People thought he was really wise, and they really liked, they would just follow him around in droves and just wait for him to say something really wise so they could memorize it. That is what his life was like and this one day he stood up before a crowd which he did often and everybody was really excited they were thinking what's the buddha going to tell us today is this going to awaken us is this going to make us feel really good so they were really there was a lot of anticipation and he got up there as he had many times before and he had given many wise teachings before and he didn't say anything he just the story is he just got up and he pulled out a flower and he just showed everyone the flower and that was it. And so that's kind of silly, right? So what happened was the people were like, what, what the fuck is happening? Why didn't he give a teaching? And so a lot of them are, they're all either confused or disappointed or upset because they really thought they were going to get the real teaching or the real encouragement that they wanted. And just one guy in the crowd, he smiled. And that's really the end of the story. And that is a really silly story if we, and I have to unpack it for you maybe, but the guy that smiled, he was just there and saw a flower. So everyone else present is thinking about their expectations or thinking about teachings they've gotten before, thinking about what they wanted or wished for or ex feeling extreme disappointment. And this one guy He's just there, and he just sees what's in front of him, and that's it. So he just sees a flower, it's a pretty flower, and he smiles. And everybody else around is like, this is, this is crap, I wanted a good teaching, and he just, he just is there with what's happening, and that's it. And that is said to be the beginning of the Zen tradition, because we're not really like that guy who's just there. We're not really like him. Rather, we are bringing our, our baggage and our obsessions and our neuroses into every situation. And that is what we struggle with. And that is what we want to learn how to do is be here. We want to learn how to be here and be with what's happening and not bring everything from our past into it. Not to say we shouldn't learn from the past, because of course we should, but we shouldn't live there. We should be able to live here 
when the time is now to live here. And if you've ever like had a bad day at work and then you go home and you're shitty to your family, that's because you're carrying baggage. That's a very minor um, example of what we're talking about. But really, we're all carrying a lot from the lives we've had, from how we were raised, from all the experiences we've had. And if you've ever also like started a new relationship and you kind of expect it to be like your old relationship, that's baggage as well. It's the same kind of thing. And one more thing I want to say is this is also about learning how to be more genuine. So as we engage in meditation practices, we start to be more real and because of that, we start to have a little bit of trouble lying to ourselves. And maybe if we're not very reflective, we don't realize how much we lie to ourselves. But once we start learning how to be more authentic, we can't deceive ourselves as, as well as we did before. So, gosh, what's my example? My example of that is I kind of have a beer belly here, and I tell myself that's genetic. And to an extent, it is genetic, but of course, also, I'm making life choices. I'm making life choices, and that's why I have a beer belly, because I'm making life choices. And we probably have all sorts of things like that. So that's an example of I've had to learn how to face that and be real with myself and say, well, I'm eating more ice cream because I want to eat more ice cream. I don't have a reason, right? I'm just doing it because I want to. So... We are confused in our lives a lot of the time, and our, our baggage and our neuroses and expectations, they really, they really pull us around and they really change how we see the world. I sometimes like to describe it as like those old-timey 3D glasses with the, everybody remembers those, right? Red on one side and blue on the other. So if you put it down and you're not looking at a 3D movie, you just see things don't look like they're supposed to. And that's, kind of how I like to think about it sometimes, that we don't see things as they are. We see things either through our expectations or through the labels we put on everything all the time. We are constantly carrying these things around and sometimes we misjudge the world around us because of that. And also, we're distracted and we have trouble being present in our lives. So. Sometimes even when there are things we really want to pay attention to, we, we realize we're not doing it. So a big example of that is if you've ever talked to someone, you've been in a conversation with someone and you really like them and you really want to have a conversation with them, but you're just in your head. You're just thinking about what you want to say or worse, like not present at all and you're not listening to them. I think we've all had that experience sometimes too. Um, and I call this the daydream where we're not present and we suffer and our actions aren't really intentional. We're just doing things. I call that the daydream. We're on autopilot and we just react a lot of the time. And the truth is that it's harder to make good decisions when we're just reacting, when we're just sleepwalking through life and we miss what's happening. We lose, tra we lose, we lose track of a lot of things we want to pay attention to. Um, I've heard people say that like, my child was, it feels like my child was just born and now they're starting college. Um, and I think of that sort of thing too, right? We're not present and we lose track and life is just passing us by. So I think about that and then I think about, so what we're talking about is training our minds so we can learn how to wake up. This is about empowering ourselves and about clarity as well. What we're trying to do is see through this daydream to see things as they really are and see things as see ourselves as we really are and to learn how to pay attention and to live our lives in a better way. We suffer because we're in this daydream and we make mistakes and we make bad decisions and we have trouble focusing even when we really want to and the truth is that when our attention is fractured and when we don't see things clearly and uh, when we think we're lacking, then it's really easy to sell us things. It's really easy for people to sell us things or sell us ideas. And so that's why this is about empowering yourself too. But also, we can kind of have, we can have suffering that spills out onto the people around us. And that's no good. So we want to turn our minds so we can empower ourselves.
And I'm going to tell another story about, um, this is an old Zen story about how our expectations shape the way we experience the world. This is called the story of Juan Hyo, and it was this, this guy in medieval Korea, he wanted to learn Zen practice, and he got this idea that a lot of people have gotten over the years, which is, I need to go to an older place to find the more serious teaching. So he got this idea that he had to travel to China because Zen came from China to Korea. So he got this idea in the Middle Ages, and it's the Middle Ages, so traveling is really dangerous, and he's walking. And so he's taking this journey that's really dangerous, and one night he gets caught in a thunderstorm. We don't, we don't think about that much because we have cars and things, but a thunderstorm can kill you if you walk everywhere, right? So he's in this thunderstorm, and he finds a cave to go into to rest for the night. And this is important to the story. It's completely dark in the cave. He can't see anything. And he goes to sleep in there to hide from the thunderstorm. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up, and he's just incredibly thirsty. I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night really thirsty too, so I get that. But he wakes up and he's incredibly thirsty and he doesn't know what he's going to do because it's completely dark. And he reaches around and he finds this round thing. And he thinks, oh, I found a gourd. Which, when I first read this story, I was like, what? But that was a a thing they did in those days. You would collect water in a gourd and you would drink it. And I guess it would make the water taste good. I don't know. But so he thinks, oh, I found a gourd. So he drinks water from this and he thinks it's the best water he's ever tasted. It's really cold and very sweet and very delicious. So he's very happy he found this gourd and he puts it down and he goes back to sleep. And when he wakes up in the morning, there's light in the cave. And he realizes that it's a crypt. So there are bones everywhere. And he looks down and he sees he didn't drink from a gourd. He drank from a skull with some very unclean water in it. Wow. So... So immediately he throws up, but then after that he realizes, how powerful is my mind? How powerful is my mind that I could taste what I wanted to taste, what I wanted and expected to taste, rather than what was really there, which was unclean water that probably wasn't cold or refreshing, but his expectation gave him what he wanted. And... We don't think of our minds as very powerful sometimes, but they are. The good thing about our minds shaping our reality is we have some power here. We have some power to change our experience of the world. And so what we're going to do is we're going to practice calming and stabilizing our minds. And when we learn to do that, that also generates wisdom because... It's all this noise, all this baggage that stops us from seeing things as they really are, from being, seeing ourselves as we really are and kind of learning about our place in the world. So sometimes this path is called the gateless gate, um, which seems nonsensical, but it's because there's nothing stopping us. There's no barrier and there's really nothing special about it. It's just learning how to be here. I'm, I sometimes say I'm selling water by the river because... It's really just being here, and you don't really need me to tell you that, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We're really just trying to put down our shits and to learn how to be in the world in a more authentic way. So we're trying to just bring some clarity and some awareness into our experience and to learn to see through all our baggage and confusion in order to see things as they really are. So we can put aside our delusion and turn our minds so we can see the freedom and awakeness that we already have. Because that's, that's the truth. We've got all this junk stopping us from seeing it, but really, awareness is what we have already. Awareness is what we have already. And Another aspect of this is we also sometimes kind of think about how to be in more harmony with the world. So there is 
ethical teaching that goes with Zen as well, but it's not about sort of be good because I say so. Rather, it's because it's be good because if you have harmony with the world around you, you're going to have a better time, an easier time being calm and learning to stabilize the mind. Whereas, you know, if you're out there lying and stealing all the time, it's going to be a little bit harder to be calm and be in harmony with the world around you. And that sort of thing kind of tends to distract you. So when we learn how to focus and we, when we learn how to be present and be quiet, then we're giving really space for our minds to manifest the wisdom that's already there. So we're trying to see the world as it really is without being so clouded by our judgments and labels also. These things filter our reality and we rarely have a clear picture of what's happening. I think about, and I hesitate to bring this up, but I think about like, if I see somebody wearing an NRA hat, I immediately have opinions about, not opinions, I have assumptions I'm making about who they are. And that is not fair. That is not fair because if I see somebody in an NRA hat, I don't know anything about them, right? But I do immediately start to think certain things and then I have to stop myself. And that's kind of what we're talking about too. It especially manifests in the way we judge people and in the way we have expectations for how this person I'm looking at is going to behave. And it's really a thing that drives us apart as a world, I think. So um, now we're going to talk about doing some practices and then we're going to do those. So we're going to do a practice called the healing breath that just kind of centers us and gets us ready for the other practices. And then we're going to do a practice called following the breath, which is a practice where we learn how to concentrate and focus on one thing, which is going to be our own breathing. And then after that, we're going to do a practice called silent illumination. People, some people really struggle with that one, but it's one where we just try to be fully present and just notice everything that's happening and not get pulled out of where we are. So those are the three practices we're going to do. But first, I'm going to talk about how we sit. So, um, and then, by the way, after we do those practices, there will be time. If there are any questions or comments, we can go over those. So what I want you to do is sit up as straight as you can. And if you want to cross your legs like me, you can, but you don't have to. If you're going to have your feet on the floor, you want to have them firmly planted, and we're going to try to keep your feet in one place the whole time, and make your back as straight as you can. If you're slouching at all, don't do that. I've always found that when I start to slouch, my mind starts to wander, and I've lost track of the meditation, so um, we, we sometimes think of mind and body as separate, and I want to tell you that they're not. What your body is doing and what your mind is doing are related. And so let's see, firmly plant your feet, sit up straight, okay? And then the next thing I wanna talk about is your hands. So there are two different things I recommend for what to do with your hands. The most important thing is that you have a plan for what your hands are doing, because if you don't, that can lead to fidgeting. So the two things are what I call the bowl, which is hand on top of hand, thumbs gently touching, resting in your lap like this. Some people call that the cosmic mudra. I think that's silly to make it sound so fancy. So I just call it the bowl. But so your thumb should make kind of an oval and your fingers should be lined up with your other fingers. That's option number one. And then the second option is what's called relaxation. And that is just hands on your knees, hands on your knees. And I say, do whatever works for you. And then Additionally, what I do is an eyes open practice. So some people say when you meditate, your eyes should be closed. And I don't say that. The one exception to that is if I am leading an event outside, then I say, yes, close your eyes because there's too much happening outside. But in an event like this, I say eyes open and look sort of downward at the floor. And, um, I don't know if you're able to do that with those chairs in front of you. So if you're not, I would say you can also just put your gaze on the chair in front of you. The point is we're gonna find something to look at. It's not very interesting and it's not moving, 
that's not going to distract us from what we're doing. So I'm going to look at the floor right here, and that's generally what I like to do. A lot of people recommend just sitting facing a wall and looking at the wall. Obviously, that's not what we're doing here, but I think that's a good practice as well. But the floor is really good. And if you need to scratch, um, a lot of people find that suddenly when they sit down to meditate, they suddenly feel incredibly itchy. Um, that phenomenon is called, has a name, it's called sitting on the anthill. And it's just that sometimes we play tricks on ourselves to try to resist this, right? And that's just what that is. But that said, if you have an itch, take a minute, scratch it, and then come back to your position because if we're just thinking about how itchy we are, well, that's not meditating really, right? So if you have an itch, I say scratch it. And if you need to adjust at any time, I say just adjust. I know there are some people who are really hardcore and will say, no, don't move at all, but I'm not one of those. I say, if you need to adjust, adjust. Okay, so I think that's everything. So we're gonna do the practice that's called the healing breath, and that is a very slow, intentional breathing practice where we breathe in, we inhale for five seconds, and we hold our breath for five seconds, and then we exhale for five seconds. So we're gonna do that three times, and I'm gonna show you what it looks like now, and then I'm gonna direct you. So it looks like this. That is the healing breath. So I'm gonna direct you, and then I'm gonna do it with you. So. We're going to do this three times, so each breath is going to take 15 seconds for these three breaths, okay? So breathe in. Hold your breath. Breathe out. Breathe in. Hold your breath. Breathe out. Breathe in. Hold your breath. Breathe out. So I really like this practice as a bookend for meditation, so we'll do it again at the end. And it's also a practice that I like to recommend for um, stressful situations. That is, if you're stuck in traffic or the kids won't stop yelling or work is really challenging or whatever, just take a moment and do the healing breath and it'll help you center yourself. So I really like that practice. And now we'll begin the practice called following the breath. So I want you to bring your attention to the breath coming into and going out of your body. We can either focus on the nose, the breath coming into and going out of, your, out of our noses, or the alternate option to that is focusing on the way your belly rises and falls. For whatever reason, when I teach kids how to meditate, they always have an easier time focusing on the belly. But I think whichever works for you. If the nose is easy, do the nose. If the belly's easy, do the belly. The point is, this is something that's happening all the time and we don't pay attention to it because it's happening automatically and we don't think of it as important unless we're having trouble doing it. Then it suddenly is very important. So bring your attention to the breath. going to do the practice called counting. So on your next inhale, I want you to mentally note the number one. And on your exhale, note the number two. In one, out two. And the reason we're doing this, the reason this is helpful is it's our anchor. And every time something comes in to distract us, 
like a memory or a daydream or thinking about what we're doing later or even hearing a sound and thinking, what's that? We can bring our attention back to one on the next in-breath. We want to try to not beat ourselves up, but rather just go back to one. The breath is always there to go back to. In one, out two. In one, out two. And we'll do this practice for a little while and then switch to another practice.
now I'd like to invite you to release the breath as your anchor. And some of you may have done that accidentally already, and that's okay. And instead of having an anchor, we're just going to try to be fully present with our experience and notice everything that's happening, but also not attach to it. So if a thought comes into your mind like memory, like a memory, you're just going to note, I'm remembering, but not chase that memory to another one and then another one as we often do. And we're going to notice the sounds we hear and we're going to try to just notice them and not wonder what's going on over there. We're just going to try to just be here and notice everything that's happening. And when we do this practice, we can tend to realize that there's a lot happening.
Now we, we will close our meditation by doing the healing breath again. And again, we'll do it for three, three times. So go ahead and breathe in. Hold your breath. Breathe out. Breathe in. Hold your breath. Breathe out. Breathe in. Hold your breath. Breathe out. So I realized I I neglected to mention that um, these practices are training, so they're not intended to be something we do once, but rather something that we build into our lives and learn how to do um, regularly. So it's, it's because of that I do lead a weekly meditation at Heart of the Dove, Kansas City on Monday nights at 7 p.m. And really, I started doing that because... I needed something to motivate me to make me keep doing it every week because um, like many self-care things, it's very easy to not do, to look for reasons not to do it. Um, I like to compare it to floss because I know I should floss my teeth and I really want to floss my teeth, but I'm, I'm not doing it. So I, I like to think of it that way. So um, I will take questions if there are any questions or comments. And if not, that's okay. Yes? What was the last meditation call that you did? Illumination? I call it silent illumination. Silent illumination. Some people call it um, shikantaza is the Japanese name that a lot of people like to use. But I, I just call it silent illumination or just sitting. Just sitting. I don't like fancy names that much. Yeah. So. Is there a Monday night session? It is at Heart of the Dove, Kansas City. Oh, it's at 4327 Troost. It's... Uh, don't look at me for knowing that. It's, uh, there's like a coffee house, and it's, you go through a hallway, and it's behind the coffee house. And I do, we do those practices we just did, and I give a, a little talk, although there I do the talk at the end instead of the beginning. But otherwise, um, that's what we do. Um, I have, I'm multimedia. I have a blog and a podcast and a YouTube channel. And if you sign up for my newsletter over there, you'll... I'll send you everything so you can see it. Um, any more questions or comments? Yes. Hi. Oh, I have a YouTube channel. A <laughs> um, couple, couple questions. Uh, one, just about the open eye meditation. This is something I haven't brought up with you since we've met. Um, so what I do at home is like a lit candle, um, like six feet on the floor in front of me because for some reason, rather than looking at the floor or the wall, that like, keeps me dialed in a little better, keeps my mindfulness drifting. Do you have an opinion on that? So I think that I've heard of a lot of people doing like light a stick of incense, and you look at the incense, and when the incense is burned down, you know you're done. And I suppose the same kind of thing would work if you use a, li a little candle or a big one? Okay. Okay. Well, I think I think that's that's not good or bad. If it keeps you, if a flame keeps you present, I think that's good. I think that is why people love campfires. If you've ever been camping and you go with your friends and you just sit and stare at a fire and that's all you do and it's not boring, right? Right. I think that's that's why looking at flame is especially helpful. So actually, I like that. I, like, I think that's better than closed eyes. I know. When my eyes are closed, I'm daydreaming, or worse, falling asleep. I say worse, but it's going to be really restful, of course. Okay. Wait, another quick one. Um, just in terms of doing practices on my own. Um, so my big problem is just lack of time. I have an incredibly busy full life, which I like, but it's hard to squeeze everything in. So like, if you have a preference um, between like doing a half-hour two days a week versus 10 minutes, five days a week, like squeezing things in, what's best? I think shorter time more often shorter is better, often. is better. Got it. So I think that doing, I think even doing five minutes per day is 
better than doing 30 minutes once a week. Right. So, yeah. Right, thank you. Shorter more often is better. On the last meditation that we did, when we were trying to focus and, yep. and like see everything and, and be aware of everything, but not let it consume us. So, how long do you say you give yourself, like with the sounds, just like a second, and then like I try to like flip them out like a fly? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I describe it as like. Well, I don't know if that's any good. Clouds passing through the sky, and we want them to just pass. So you know how when it's really windy, clouds are moving kind of fast. That's what I think of. I don't think of like when clouds are barely moving. So I don't know if the cloud <laughs> metaphor is very good, but right, we want them to just pass because- Pass, so you want to acknowledge them, but right. let them go. We, if we have a real understanding of how our minds work, that is what happens. Thoughts come really fast and they go really fast and we're on to an, the next one. And if we don't reflect, we don't realize that, but that's what's always happening, okay. right? So. Yeah, we want to think of it as something really fast that comes and goes. Okay, thank you. Angela, just have the floor to you now. Okay, thank you for coming. Okay, you in the back, you were first, yes. Yeah, so I just had a question about like <clears throat> eliminating the ego and eliminating the thinker part and just, so how do you separate the observer and the creator in your mind to just kind of get into that center spot where you're just the meditator and like understanding everything and just kind of like letting it come and Okay, so that's a tough one. So um, we want to learn how to be really quiet and sit for a while. And if we have a lot of trouble with that, sometimes we need a longer sit to get there. But um, we want to just see the thought coming and not think, I'm thinking, we want to just think, oh, a thought's happening. And that is really hard to do. And we have to practice again and again and again and again before we can really, really just think, have a thought is happening rather than thinking I am thinking I, I want to compare it to um, I think our language is really powerful and it shapes how we think so we use the phrase I am angry and well that's not true you're not angry you're having an experience of anger but when we let our language take us that route then our anger is way more powerful because we're saying it is who we are and we respond to that. We make it true when we say that. So I think we want to just tell ourselves over and over, a thought is occurring, rather than telling ourselves, I'm thinking too much, or these thoughts are heavy, or whatever else. It's just a thought passing through. And it's really hard to remind ourselves of that, but that's, that's what we're training to do. So that's why we have to do this again and again, to really learn how to just let thoughts pass and not and not I know when I first started meditating I had a lot of trouble I was like this I was thinking oh I'm having it I'm I'm not meditating again and I was really you know upset with myself and a lot of people get that way and that's why they meditate a few times and they quit because it is hard and a lot of the time we feel like it's going nowhere and we feel like we're just waiting for the timer to go off or whatever so um I do like to say it's like working out we have to just Repetition is what it takes because we're going to feel like it's going nowhere for a while, probably. And sometimes I still feel like it's going nowhere, and I've been doing this a while. So um, I hope that answers your question, but it's really just repetition will get us there when we can start to just feel like thoughts are occurring rather than feel like I'm thinking. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, kind of in follow up to that, it's like, how do you separate? So meditation with a focus is what's called a concentration practice. And so if you're following the breath or using a mantra or um, visualizing something, all those are concentration practices. That's where you have one thing that you're trying to bring all your attention to. So what does that do? Well, it trains you in attention, right? So if we do that over and over, then we learn how to pay attention really well. And that's really good. And then the, what I call a formless practice, the just sitting, the, set, the last one we did, is training in awareness. So we're trying to train in these two things. On the one hand, we want to be able to 
zero in our attention. And on the other hand, we want to be able to see the world around us and really see it. Yeah. So that's what the other practice is for. And some people find the one practice really hard and some people find the other practice really hard. So I personally, I find the, the anchored practice more difficult than the formless practice. But I know many, many people are the opposite. And they find they really love having the anchor to hold on to. And it really helps them a lot. Right. Cool. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so I had a question about, um, you mentioned it about feeling sleepy or kind of restful. Um, and I kind of read, like, that's probably not a good thing. But at the same time, I know there's, like, meditations that help you fall asleep. So, you know, with meditation, you're trying to, like, relax and calm. And that's kind of, like, it's kind of similar with kind of sleep and resting and feeling very restful. But, like, do you see it as a very negative thing? Or do you feel like, like, it could, because sometimes I'll feel like, okay, you know, maybe I've accomplished what I'm trying to do because I'm more calm even though I'm feeling a little more sleepy. So I'm going to say um, it's not bad. I'm going to say, though, we want to try not to... We don't want to be too comfortable because then we'll find ourselves falling asleep every time. So I would, I would never say... That's why I say meditate with your eyes open because it's easier to fall asleep. Some people like to meditate laying down. I feel like I would fall asleep every time if I did that. So I, I tend to not do that except in really specific circumstances. But um, I want to say going to sleep is almost always a good thing. So I don't want to say it's bad, but I do want to say don't set yourself up for failure. So don't create a situation where you're going to be really comfortable and it's really likely you'll fall asleep. But rather try to do the practice in a way where you're comfortable but not too comfortable. I don't I wouldn't beat myself up over it if I was falling asleep every time I meditated, but at the same time, I want to do what I can to make that less likely to happen. So I want to do it on a day when I'm not really tired and I want to have my eyes open and I don't want to sit on my couch, right? I want to sit on on a chair like this or on the floor. Um so I'm, I guess I'm sort of neutral about it, though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's really bad, but we just want to be cautious. We want to make sure we're doing what we can to avoid it as much as possible. Okay. So if you do intentionally use meditation to fall asleep sometimes, is that bad? Is that going to mess up your meditation practice that you're trying to stay awake for? Like, is it going to train yourself to fall asleep, or...? I think that if you're doing meditation to fall asleep, make sure it's not the exact same practice that you're doing to not fall asleep because that will, that'll get certain pathways in your brain strengthened, right? So you think, oh, it's time to go to sleep and we don't want that. So I would say do a different practice when you're going to sleep than when you do when you're trying to just meditate. All right. Thank you for coming, everyone. This has been really good. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.